Welcome to Diversity in Tech podcast, the podcast that brings you expert advice and unique insights on diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Whether you're a software developer, a designer, a CTO or a people manager, we're here to help make your workplace more accessible, open and equitable. This podcast is brought to you by Dint, diversity and inclusion in tech. Join our global community by visiting us at dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com. I'm Davina. And I'm Richard. And we're the co-founders of Dint. Good evening um, or good day, depending where you are in the world and when you're listening to this. Um, Thank you for for switching on to our second podcast. Uh, Very excited with today's topic. This is no doubt a topic we could run about 10 episodes on, so uh, there's lots and lots to talk about, and, and we have two amazing guests, but before I introduce them, I'd just like to say hi to Rich, who's my co-host. Hello. And to Margot, who you never see or hear, but is in the background doing all the hard work. She's our producer. Um, so today we have two amazing guests um, from either side of the Atlantic. So uh, first I'd like to welcome Joanne Monk. So Joanne is an amazing lady who has an OBE, which for those of you who are not in the UK, is an award from the Queen given to her for services to transgender equality. And she is also the Director of Global Education and Equality, Diversion and Inclusion for the Believe Foundation. And then we also have Chris Angel, who is in Denver in the States. Uh, uh, Chris Angel is a, an educator and speaker and is also a podcast host themselves. And Chris Angel educates on all sorts of things LGBTQ plus related and, and also has an amazing resource library on their website. Um, so back to Joanne. Joanne, would you like to just introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about yourself? Thank you very much for that amazing introduction. Um, yeah, I'm Joanne Monk. The OBE was given to me for services to transgender equality as a global LGBT advocate and an independent advisor. So that's basically me. Thank you, Joanne. That's that's amazing. And Chris Angel, over to you. You did such a lovely job introducing me, so I, I don't think there's too much to add. My pronouns are they, them, and my full name is Chris Angel Murphy. I've got a master's in social work, so my background's in social work and LGBTQ plus community organizing. I've been working in the community for at least 12 years now, intentionally, and just sort of stumbled into it, really. Um, just saw a need for it consistently to, to speak out, and so that's where I got started. I'm, I'm really, really interested to know, from, from both your perspectives, how LGBTQ plus acceptance has changed in society during your, your lifetimes, and kind of tell the story of, of that journey. Yeah, I think it's changed a great deal. I'm a millennial, so I'm part of that group. I just turned 34 in September of 2021. And something that's been interesting to see over the course of my lifespan, I actually grew up in Los Angeles. And so 
arguably that's a pretty good place for an LGBTQ plus person, but we still know that discrimination and hate crimes and all of that exist. What I've seen in my lifetime was, I mean, didn't really learn about it in school other than hearing slurs and not really knowing what those slurs meant. And I do recall as early as ninth grade, finally getting, and so I was a freshman in high school, um, getting some of the language, but it was because we did have a gay straight alliance club at school, which was meant to be like social support and to get information and and things like that. So I, I learned about a good chunk of the terminology there, but back when I would go to borders, when I'd go to the gay and lesbian section, which is what it was called at that time, you really only saw books about 365 sex positions and things like that. It was just hyper-sexualized. I wasn't seeing anything about the transgender community, intersex. And so I was disappointed and the internet was just starting, but we still didn't really have access to information that we have now. So even just in my short lifetime, I think the fact that I'm even able to have my own website and to link to all of the different resources that exist now is incredible. And some of the community-based resources that exist are, are just incredible. I think it helps a lot to not feel so alone. It's also great that we're seeing so many more terms and definitions. I've also seen people just get really overwhelmed with the sheer amount of information that exists. Also just, just overwhelm in landing on identities. You know, like over the course of my lifetime, my identities have shifted a great deal. I think just for me, part of it has just been having language where I don't feel so boxed in. So for example, bisexual, I think there's so much bi-erasure and biphobia that queer has felt so much better because I don't feel the same stigma with that. I don't feel the same questions. People kind of get it and that there's more fluidity. Even though honestly, in, in my opinion and the opinions of many others, there's a lot of overlap between those identities. Even just those things alone, seeing those in my lifetime has been incredible. And I think what I'm hoping for is a future where we're no longer having to celebrate firsts anymore. Like the first gay person to run for president or, or things like that. Chris Angel, that was absolutely amazing. Um, all, all credit to you um, for, you know, for who you are now and what you've achieved and what you believe in. I want to start by sort of going back to the beginning. <clears throat> so um, David, which was my previous name, uh, born in 1955. I think I knew when I was about five or six years old that there was something different about me. All my friends were girls. I used to love wearing clothes that my mother had put out in a dressing up box. Um, but the word transgender wasn't in the dictionary in those days. It was very difficult, and I obviously couldn't go and talk to my parents about it. And I went through that all through my school life, right up until when I left school in 1973. I was trying all the time to validate my life as a male, um, which wasn't easy. To cut a very long story short, and it is a long story, I, I got married, um, I'd had a nervous breakdown um, because one of the problems which um, comes with being transgender and feeling that you're trapped in the wrong body is mental health. So I got married, um, 
twin boys because that's what was expected of me, keeping everything secret because I didn't want anybody to know. My wife died in uh, the year 2000, but it took me another 14 years to go through the motions of even thinking about who I was when I accepted who I was and I changed my name it was almost like a a huge long zip was undone down the entire length of his body and out came Joanne Um, and it's an overwhelming sense of relief to finally be who you were meant to be it's not something you choose you don't choose to be lgbt you are i suppose telling family and friends was difficult um but everybody was really accepted my boys were very accepting i told my father who was still alive um he said he understood but he'd never call me joanne which was okay and by saying he understood i think he knew when I had my surgery, my son came round to see me. One of the things he said almost straight away is, is it okay if I call you mum now? I suppose that was the the absolute affirmation that, that I needed. And I've gone on from there to do a lot of advisory work for not just the transgender community. And incidentally, I'm legally female in the UK now, so I have a new birth certificate. So I don't actually identify as transgender. Chris Angel mentioned um, pronouns. Um, I've got mixed opinions about that. And I know some of the social media sites have started saying, well, you can put your pronouns on. But my name is Joanne. I'm a woman. I shouldn't have to tell you what my pronouns are. But for me now, it's all about promoting awareness of issues faced by the transgender community, in particular in the workplace, in schools. Um, And things have improved considerably, but we are by no means there yet. Chris Angel mentioned hate crime. You know, it's rife. So my message is believe in your abilities, your personality, your strength in order to achieve success. And then my final word is is the encouragement of the need in the workplace, in schools, everywhere for the LGBT community to have allies. That was um, phenomenal. Thank you so much for for sharing an, an incredibly brave story. You've both mentioned the internet and social media. Do you believe that that was a is a is a driving force in the in the change towards attitudes and and getting that information out to people? Thank you, Joanne, for for sharing your story, and thank you also for the kind words you've shared with me. I guess I'm still just sort of stuck on the pronouns piece because it's part of who I am and how I identify. And Joanne, I I do believe that sharing pronouns is important because on a daily basis, if I interact with other people, use he, him pronouns for me. And that's something that happens to me. That's why it is important for me that we do have spaces where we can easily and quickly share pronouns. So it's hard for me because part of how I was raised and some of the trauma that I've experienced is that it's manifested as being a people pleaser. Just to come back to even my work, I never want people to feel they have to share their pronouns. I actually help companies roll out pronouns in their organizations in a really thoughtful way 
And the one thing I do is I never make it mandatory. It's not because of people who push back or don't want to do it. What I care about are the people who maybe aren't out or would have to double down on being out or be forced to be out. Like that, Those are who I care about the most. We're not always going to agree on everything, and that's okay. And how do we work through those differences? And something, Joanne, that I think was so important too is like, I love and honor that you don't identify as transgender anymore. I think it's really important that people are able to self-identify. I think these are some of the things that come up in discourse on the internet. So again, I think it's beautiful that we can connect with folks. And I think part of the challenge with technology is that a lot of this stuff was rolled out Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr without instructions. You know, I think it's the responsibility of these companies who have released the software to help give more guidelines so that we can have healthier relationships with technology, have healthier options for for discourse, and not just write people off because they automatically don't agree with us. I, I overwhelmingly think that the internet is positive, but I think it's going to be critical for us to really come up with that etiquette and really come up with those community guidelines that we can agree to. And I, I think the sooner we can do that, the better. Otherwise, I'm just concerned about where we'll be headed. Yeah, that's that's interesting what you say, Chris Angel. Um, you know, and thank you for um, saying that you support my um, decision to self-identify. Um, um, but I want to talk briefly about the internet um, <clears throat> and social media. Um, I have certain issues with it. Um, in 2000, the end of 2019, I was the recipient of some absolutely vitriolic hate uh, on Twitter. To be honest, it almost finished me from doing the work that I do now and I think the big thing is that these um, organizations need to be held considerably more accountable for what goes on to their sites. Yeah I agree with you I mean the companies aren't doing enough to make it safer for us sometimes our content will be deemed inappropriate even though it's not and then we'll get what's called shadow banned it can feel really dangerous doing this work. And that's just one of the the challenges that I have with it, but it feels important because again, the sense of community and we have a world telling us that we shouldn't exist. We have a society telling us we shouldn't exist. I'm gonna be thinking about this conversation for a long time. Based on the experiences of the internet, and if you could both pick a practical thing that you would like to see people in society do more, and that's potentially doesn't have to just be online. What would the practical thing be that you think if everybody did and recognized more, we would be moving towards a, a, a brighter place? My key thing is allyship. And I talk about allyship by using the letters of the word ally. So A, standing for awareness, a true ally needs to educate themselves on discrimination and who it affects. The first L is listen and learn. 
the way to do that is to listen to an individual's personal journey, but learn about what makes them different. The second L, and this is a really important part of it, is uh, leverage. Using your privilege, uh, your role in society um, to promote inclusion, but also to promote visibility, also to promote positive change wherever it is. And then finally, why? And why is all about you. Empower yourself to speak out about, I suppose, the inequalities faced by the LGBT community and other diverse groups of people. And don't be afraid to stand in somebody's corner and fight their cause. I think something that changed me for the better was coming across something called the platinum rule. A lot of us are taught about the golden rule, treat others the way that you want to be treated. But not all not all of us want to be treated the same. And again, Joanne, I think today is a really big example of that, just given some of the differences of that we've highlighted in, in our stories today and again, how we view things and see things. So rather the platinum rule says, treat people the way they want to be treated. I think that simple shift has made a huge difference for me in my relationships and how I approach the world and also making sure that people know how they can best honor me. Thank you both. Um, I I was just thinking there about the, the listen and learn, I think that you, you started off with there, Joanne. I think when we when we first kind of thought about doing this podcast, we were very aware that that people certainly that I've worked with and which I know you said the same are, are quite often frightened to ask someone who they know is a member of our community, um, and I include myself in that for the audience's um, point of view. I'm I identify as pansexual. I previously used to identify as bisexual, um, but I know that I've worked with many people who worry about engaging in the conversation and possibly even being openly supportive for fear of asking the wrong question or saying the wrong thing or using the wrong uh, identifier and so what would you suggest to those people like like how can we make people feel more comfortable and I know really it's it's on on the people who have the privilege and conform to society's norm really it should be on them to make the effort to understand and to learn and to make members of the LGBTQ plus community feel comfortable. But in practice, I think we forget that actually those very people themselves are uncomfortable and are worrying about causing offence for that reason. So what would your advice be to anyone listening who, who you know, gets to LGBTQ and, and then maybe probably gets confused at the Q and even more confused at the plus? Um, what would your advice be? We've got two things here to consider, um, and, and I want to mention them both. Um, uh, firstly is unconscious bias. Um, we all have unconscious bias. Uh, every single person in the world has some form of unconscious bias, um, and it's very important for organisations to 
offer training in what unconscious bias is because it can be controlled. And the other thing is microaggressions. And microaggressions might even just be banter, but it's still classified as a microaggression and it can be very, very hurtful. So people need to be aware of how microaggressions affect people. And that's why I advocate being um, an ally and learning about the different groups of people that exist in in society and you know as chris angel said that the platinum the platinum rule every single being on earth deserves to be treated with dignity and respect as a basic human right what i tend to teach on is oops ouch i'm sorry and I learned that from my community organizing days in Los Angeles, working with LGBTQ plus youth. Now, I don't expect people to actually say that out loud, <laughs> but rather just sort of like a framework for oneself to say, oops, I just made a mistake. Ouch, I've probably hurt this person. And then I'm sorry, being a genuine apology. But I highly recommend checking out Dr. Harriet Lerner, who has the nine essential ingredients of a true apology. And one of the top things that shows up on there is does not include the word but. And I think especially with our community, we can hear, but it's so hard for me to use the new name for you, but it's so hard for me to use these new pronouns, but I don't want to invite your same gender partner to the holiday celebration and, and things like that. The last one is this accountability framework acknowledging the harm that was done. I think one of the things that we can get caught up in is we're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. It's just how we bounce back from that. And if we're centering our ourselves or if we're centering the behavior and what needs to happen for repair. And sometimes it's just as easy as like for me, I tell folks, hey, if you mess up my pronouns, no biggie, self-correct. So I know that you've heard yourself and then move on. You know, it doesn't need to be a grand monologue where you're making your acting debut or, or things like that. But I think if you can have a foundation in the oops, ouch, I'm sorry, the nine essential ingredients of a true apology, and then, like I said, also reading through the repair model that I mentioned, the rest of it is just adding the layers, adding the nuance, and then, again, comes in the platinum rule of, well, how does that person want to be treated? So talking about tools and that kind of reaction, when it, when it comes to unconscious biases, are there are the things that you would both advocate that, that people do because that must be one of the key areas where are there things we can do before we get them with the with unconscious bias where we can you would advise people to to think in certain situations in certain ways i think you should take a look at who's all in your circles if there are token identities happening where you know maybe only one trans person change that Come back to social media, right? Here's some of the good is that, again, there are so many creators and educators out there doing the work. So don't just listen to one particular voice because, again, folks listening to this episode right now, you're hearing that we're two different advocates and educators and we have very different views on, on certain things. And that's okay. But just listen to multiple marginalized voices you know diversify your social media feeds diversify your news feeds there's tons of lgbtq plus 
media out there, for example, different news publications, different magazines. Try checking those out. Try try seeing those. And I, I think that's, again, those are those little things you can do because I'm a little weary. I do think it's important to have training in a workplace. And sometimes it can just be another box that we're checking off. Like, oh, let me remember all of these different kinds of unconscious bias terms and what the different definitions are. And then let me just pass and get this like score that I need to complete this and I'm done. So do that. Sure. Learn about that stuff, but also just diversify who's in your life and and make sure that you're not tokenizing people. Yeah, I I think I probably agree with that, Chris Angel. Um, I would say that uh, one of the important um, parts of unconscious bias is something that I mentioned in um, allyship, and that is listen and learn. You can gain an awful lot of empathy. We've just got to keep educating, and education is the key. I agree about education being key because even in the States, we don't have fact-based, inclusive sex education. And that's not the only place the LGBTQ plus community could be popping up in our textbooks. We can hear about Alan Turing. We can hear about the leaders of Stonewall and how they fought back against police brutality. But instead, either our history gets whitewashed or it just doesn't even get mentioned at all. And it's a shame if we can normalize this in the schools and highlight LGBTQ plus people. And it's not just like June for Pride Month or just any of those awareness days, but just normalize it. It doesn't have to be a day. It doesn't have to be because of some month that exists. Just it could be casually. It could come up in all of the different subjects taught in school. You know, if I could have seen myself in the textbooks, if I could have seen myself in movies and all that and not have it be the endings we've already talked about, like hate crimes, suicide, things like that. Maybe I would have known there were other options. Maybe I wouldn't have struggled for so long. Maybe coming out didn't have to be then such a big deal if we didn't make straight the default for folks. So education is key. And I think it's going to take us a while to get there, especially here in the States. Thank you both. Uh, This conversation has been incredible. I think we've touched on some really deep things, definitely some very emotional things. What's um, what's come across very, very strongly is how important it is for us all in our daily lives really to be allies and really to take responsibility. I just want to say thank you both so much. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Can I just ask, is there places where people can find you both um, if they want to learn more about the conversation from either of you? So the best places to find me would be my podcast is allyshipisaverb.com. And I'm most active on Instagram. And the handle for that is at gendersexualityinfo. And you can also check out what I'm up to at chrisangelmurphy.com. And the website, (laughs) the other website, the third one that was mentioned Um, where I have a bunch of different resources and I will be mindful that most of them are based on the states but that resource hub is gendersexuality.info If you google um, Joanne Monk which is M-O-N-C-K and then O-B-E 
um, there are links all the way through that to podcasts I've done, um, talks I've done, newspaper articles. Um, I can be followed on LinkedIn um, at Joanne Monk OBE. Um, I am on Twitter, and I, but I don't do much on it. It's been an absolutely fascinating session. I, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from Chris Angel, um, you know, so I'd personally like to thank them very much for that. I hope that people will learn from what we've discussed tonight and be an ally, support us, help us go through what we, what we don't choose to do. We have to do it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity in Tech podcast. For more information or to join our global community, visit dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com.